In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thank you so much for joining us and happy Friday, friends. So we're doing a replay this week. If you're a fan of Apple TV Plus, then you likely have watched Mythic Quest. If you haven't heard of the show before, it's a comedy from the creators of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and it takes place at the office of a video game company. Last year, we spoke with one of the stars of the show, Rob McElhenney, who talked about choosing the right cast members and how his new show compares to It's Always Sunny. Let's take a listen. We have an amazing interview for you guys that we went through hell and high water to get, but we knew that you guys would love to hear from Rob McElhenney, one of the creators of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He and Charlie Day and Megan Gans have a new show on Apple TV Plus called Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet, and let's hear a clip. In a world of legendary heroes, one man will rise to take all of the credit. This game has something that no one else will. Me. This is where the magic happens. Hey, can I get a coffee? I'm coming, Ryan! Everybody has that game that they fell in love with because they make an impact. Those games were somebody's legacy. Well, this is my legacy. Our legacy. Our legacy, whatever. It's not my legacy. BA in women's studies. What exactly is women's studies? It follows the experiences of women and the contributions they've made to inquiry withdrawn. Quick thing, I'm, I'm worried about the time. Yeah, David, I'm moving as fast as I can. It's not my fault that these watermelons don't explode like real heads. I can get you real heads. Not human. That's commitment. I built your vision. It's like you're this brilliant painter, and I'm your favorite brush. I'm just some tool to create your masterpiece. I like that metaphor, but it's not quite right, is it? I Are think you seriously you just... about to noodle on my metaphor right now? I know that I can be difficult, Papa. You can't give up. We're like the Beatles. <laughs> Together, we make masterpieces. I could write the lyrics and the music and everything, but it would sound completely different without the drums. Wait, I'm Ringo? Well, yeah, of course you're Ringo. I mean, look, somebody's got to keep the beat. Oh, my God. So, again, that was from Mythic Quest, colon, Raven's Banquet. It's now streaming on Apple TV+, and it's from the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia gang. And if you haven't heard of this series, Apple TV+, is not necessarily the biggest marketing streamer in the world, 
But the series debuted last Friday on Apple, and it's a workplace comedy set in the offices of a World of Warcraft-style video game called Mythic Quest. The Raven's Banquet addendum is for the long-awaited expansion to the video game that's rolled out in the series' first episode. So Rob stars as Ian, the visionary creator of Mythic Quest, who is maybe less great at managing an office. And the cast also includes Danny Pudi, the great F. Murray Abraham, and a bunch of new faces that you're soon going to be obsessed with. I really like this cast. We have Mac himself on the podcast today on the phone to talk about the new series. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Kelly. Well, just me today. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's just dive in. I've gotten to watch Mythic Quest, and it's so great. And I just wondered, how did you and Megan and Charlie pick the World of Video Games offices for your next series? Um, we actually didn't. We were approached by um, Ubisoft, uh, which is one of the biggest game studios in the world. They were fans of Sony, and they were interested in doing a show that took place in uh, the world of game development. And it wasn't something we knew that much about. And so we weren't uh, that interested, honestly. And then <laughs> we were invited just to come up and, and take a look at the studio up in Montreal. They're based in, in France, but uh, they have a major studio in Montreal. So I went up there alone and, and visited with the people at the studio. And I could tell almost right away that it was, uh, it was definitely an environment where uh, comedy could ensue. <laughs> So how did you guys kind of come up with the framework for Mythic Quest, the game within the show? Well, we knew we wanted to get a shorthand as quickly as possible. Um, you know, we approached it the same way we approached Sunny insofar as we recognized that while the food and beverage industry might be the backdrop for a television show, but ultimately no one's going to care really about the success or failure of Patty's Pub. So we wanted to make sure that if we were going to do this and use the industry as, as a backdrop that we took full advantage of all the pros and cons and situational, dramatic, and comedic elements that we could take advantage of that were specific to the game industry. But we also felt like we wanted to make sure that even though it was authentic to their experience, that if you didn't play games, you could still enjoy the show. And that's why we, when we were putting together the writer's room, we bifurcated it and made sure that half the room played game and the other half didn't so that you could enjoy it either way. So other than touring the Ubisoft studios, did you do a lot of research into the gaming industry for the show? A ton. A ton. We, um, we then started touring other studios in Los Angeles. We were fortunate enough that, that they're some of the biggest studios in the world are based out of LA. So we were touring a few of those. And then each week, uh, oftentimes multiple times in a week, we would have experts in any given field come and speak with us in the writer's room. So that would be heads of monetization, uh, male game devs, female game devs, testers, people from the art department, um, and even, even talking to people in HR. I, I made sure we wanted to like really get a sense of development of the games, but just and if they're in an industry that does not like to be pandered to and can absolutely recognize it when they see it, it would be the gaming industry. So we knew we had to get it, uh, we had to get it right. So did you have any sort of preconceived notions about the gaming industry that were dispelled when you guys were doing your research? Yes. So that's exactly the kind of thing that we wanted to dispense with as quickly as possible. And that was really why we weren't that interested in the first place. It was just like, we felt like we had seen it done before and it was always done um, really hacky. It, mm -hmm. it just felt like it was, 
Um, it was r- really just marginalizing and stereotyping and not really accurate to really any type of reality. Even though we didn't know the specific realities, we knew that it wasn't just a bunch of 15-year-old geeks who live with their moms in their basements that play games, right? This is a, a global phenomenon. Yeah. And people are coming from all different ages, all different cultures, all different countries, religions, and people are, are all enjoying video games. And certainly the devs represent that as well, and studios represent that. So we, we wanted to make sure that anything that we had seen in popular culture prior to this, um, you know, we, we watched, recognized, and, and realized that, um, that that's not the direction we wanted to go. So I wanted to talk about the cast because it seems like you completely hit the jackpot. It's a great cast. The chemistry is there right away. How did you go about putting it together? Every time you cast anything, a show, a movie, uh, you're trying to capture a certain lightning in a bottle and a chemistry um, that you can't fake. And that's a difficult thing to do because you never really know until you're there on the first day of shooting. So we have this incredible casting director named Jeannie McCarthy who has cast huge movies and huge TV shows and she's a good friend of ours and and she was bringing in people and um, originally Poppy was written um, to be somewhat different than Charlotte Nickdow. Uh, she was older. Uh, she just almost had like a different personality and the dynamic between Ian and Poppy was different. And then Charlotte came in and read and she wasn't right for the Poppy as written but but we really liked her. And so we brought her back for different characters and we weren't a hundred percent sure that she worked with for some of the other characters, but we knew she was special and we didn't know how we were going to utilize her, but we knew we were going to. And then the more I read with her, the more we realized we had a really good rapport. And for whatever reason, uh, we had great chemistry together. We just kind of like, I don't know, we just really worked well together and it was really fun. And it felt like we were uh, in communion with one another as we were just in the audition. And that's when we realized, like Meg and Charlie and I realized, okay, we're going to have to rewrite the character and cast the best actor. And that's what we did. So that happened a lot. I mean, Jesse Ennis, who plays Joe, Joe was not a character that was even in the original draft. She came in and read for Poppy. She came in and read for Dana. She came in and read for Rachel. And we were like, wow, this is one of the funniest actors that we'd ever seen. But we didn't have a character for her. So we so we talked to Jeannie about it. And Jeannie was like, you better write one because she's going to get scooped up fast and put in another show. And so that's what we did. You have to go through the process and see what sticks. And if an actor comes in and presents something that's better than what was on the page, you have to rewrite it. So, yeah, going back to Poppy, one of my favorite things in the season was that it didn't necessarily seem like you guys were doing some kind of will they, won't they between Ian and Poppy, that there was this two foils in a workplace that, you know, were both seemingly heterosexual man and woman, and it isn't about you guys getting together. And so I was just wondering, was that a conscious choice or is that just how it evolved over the course of writing it? Yes, no, it was definitely a conscious choice. And even in the original draft, when we were uh, closer to age, it was, it was a conscious choice. What we wanted to do is to explore these two characters who are obsessed with their work and, and obsessed with this creation that they had together, ostensibly their baby. And their baby was birthed through the obvious uh, talent and hard work of both of them. And yet there was never like a hint uh, in their minds of attraction in any way, simply because the only thing that mattered to them was the work and the video game and also themselves. 
I mean, both of them are egomaniacs in their own way. <laughs> I am uh, certainly in the beginning of the season uh, is most notably the, the obvious narcissist. But as time goes on, you start to realize that Poppy, too, has a certain streak of egoism and egotistical behavior. And I think it's been really fun to kind of explore that a little bit. So there's no real time for romance. And beyond that, I'm like 15 or 16 years older than her. And I think it, it would just be creepy. <laughs> Um, so another character that I really liked was Pootie Shoe, which is fun mm-hmm. to say uh, on our very serious podcast. So how did you guys come up with this sort of teen YouTuber Titan with his annoying mom? That was um, burst from reality. I mean, that, that is a real phenomenon uh, that the gaming industry has to wrestle with. As social media continues to explode and expand, you're really having this direct interface with not only the fans, but influencers who can make or break a billion-dollar enterprise. And so, obviously, we take it to an extreme, but there's something really funny about the, the success or failure of this massive industry being on the shoulders of a petulant 14-year-old. Uh, we just thought that was really funny. But we also found there's something really kind of wonderful about it, and most people laugh and kind of scoff it off. But I, I think that the, part of the reason why I think he resonates, besides being so funny, is... I think it's kind of a really essential and cool turn of events over the last 10 years where a lot of these mega monolith studios or corporations are being forced to to really listen to the audience in a way that they never have before. And I hear a lot of like people in my industry complain that community at large influencers or critics or whatever, you know, ownership and are telling them how to make their stuff. And I, I don't agree with that. I think it's wonderful. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to, implement whatever adjustments I might be hearing. But if you get consensus on something, if if 500 people say, I hate your show, it's not funny. Well, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. That doesn't really affect me. If 5,000 people say, we don't understand this particular aspect of a character, well, it's probably probably unclear. Mm -hmm. So that level of consensus is always really helpful. And so now we're in in a situation where people feel empowered to give their opinions about something. And I, I don't know, I, I, I for one enjoy it and welcome it. The show is obviously a comedy, but you get into some of the more serious aspects of the gaming industry, especially sexism and online hate. And you have those two episodes that deal with those topics that are very well done and nuanced. And so I was just wondering how you guys approach those. Well, again, on the auspices of not wanting to pander, we didn't want to present the gaming industry in a negative light mm-hmm. in the way that we had seen in the past, uh, just sort of scratching at the surface, geeky subculture. But, you know, the flip side of that is we also didn't want to present it in an entirely positive light because no industry is, uh, is only positive or only negative. We wanted to make sure that we weren't pandering in either direction because, again, I feel like if you did, then the, the gaming industry and the audience at home would smell that a mile away as if we had some sort of agenda. And that was something that was really important to us when we first agreed to do it with Ubisoft. So, okay, look, this is, this is a really interesting area, but we want to make sure that we are not doing a commercial for Ubisoft. Mm-hmm. We're not going to push your games and we're not going to push this narrative that all is well all the time in your industry because it is fraught with problems. And they said, absolutely, you need to make it feel authentic. So, you know, dealing with things like gender disparity or, yes, online hate and even labor issues like crunch and unionization and things like that, which we deal with in the second half of the season, those are real issues. And not only things that people are grappling with 
in the gaming industry, but all over Western culture. So if we're not talking about those things, then I think we're, we're, we're pulling apart. So uh, it'll be interesting to see over the next few weeks, what are the things that people are really responding to? And the truth is, the critical response has been overwhelmingly positive. And that is a really hard thing to achieve in hard comedy. Like very, very rarely do hard comedy, like comedies that are actually trying to make you laugh, um, which it seems like a novel idea, uh, <laughs> are really polarizing because what makes you laugh isn't what makes the next person laugh. It isn't what makes the next person laugh. But, you know, in, in terms of like the human condition, we have shared experiences that can make us cry. And I'm not saying that drama is easier than comedy. It's just that I think it's easier to have more consensus on perspective. That's why I, I feel like you very rarely hear people say in a drama, like, oh my God, this is the greatest drama ever. And then the next reviewer saying, I think this is garbage, <laughs> right? That's just very rare. It might be, you know, uh, oh, I think Chernobyl is, is fantastic. And then the next reviewer might say, oh, it's pretty good, but it's not as good as the hype. Very rarely is it completely polarized. And mm-hmm. I feel like with comedy, you see that often. And with funny, we, I'm, I'm used to it. And certainly <laughs> that's going to happen with this. And I have seen some people say, this is the best new comedy on TV. And then I've heard other people say, this is a piece of trash and should be thrown into the garbage. And that level of disparity amongst amongst opinion is is really just commonplace in hard comedies, again, that are trying to make you laugh. So I'm super proud of the show and super proud of the team that we were able to, to get uh, such an overwhelmingly positive response from the reviewers. And I'm, I'm hoping that extends to the audience. Well, thank you so much for being with us and have a great weekend. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, listeners, let's hear from you. Have you been watching Mythic Quest? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, or you can tweet at us directly. I'm at Brett Molina 23 My co-host, Brian Truitt, is at Brian Truitt. And my other co-host, Kelly Lawler, is at KLawls, at K-L-A-W-L-S. Don't forget, you can send us email too. We're at MothershipPod at USAToday.com. That'll do it this week. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of Mothership, Adam Fish. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, and subscribe to The Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. And if you happen to be there, it would be lovely if you could leave a rating or a review of the show. It helps other people who love pop culture find us, and you get a shout-out on the next episode. Everybody wins. If Apple Podcasts isn't your thing, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Until next week, nerds out. Nerds out.